Hey everybody, this is John Voorhees. I'm here with the next installment of the Mac Stories Lounge interview series, and I'm with Matt Bischoff from Lickability. Hey Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks. Um, you know, we've been talking to people about WWC and the announcements and what yeah. they see that excites them and, and what they're interested in. I thought I'd do the same with you, both from kind of a user standpoint, but also as a developer. Um, why don't we talk about the developer tools? I mean, did you see anything there that you like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so from the Xcode side of things, the memory debugger is what I'm most excited about because oftentimes we'll see something in the work that we do, like retain cycle or um, just memory spikes, and now instead of just dropping into instruments and you know searching through long lists of allocated objects, you can actually visualize that in this really beautiful editor. Um, I think that I think that, that is uh, really moving the state of debugging forward. Yeah, if you look at the uh, the graph that they create, it's like, it's a lot like a um, you know a flowchart that gives you it shows every object that happens to you when you pause your app. It shows right. you every single object that is in existence at that time and kind of where the connections are and what's happening with memory, right? And you can jump directly from the graph to the code, so you can right. you can you can see that an object is being retained by another object, which is retaining the first one and creating the cycle. It detects the cycle automatically, detects the leak automatically, and then you can jump and find out where it is. That seems to be kind of a theme because I know the view debugger has a similar thing where you can look at your view debugger and it'll show you right if there are auto layout problems or something, it can take you directly to where the problem exists. Right, instead of just spitting out a bunch of text in the console that you're with a bunch of memory addresses, they're allowing, they're visualizing that now as well. Yeah, and um, I think you know the auto auto uh, layout stuff I thought was interesting. It's just the small changes, but those those icons they've put down at the bottom now that show the kind of device class that you're in at that moment. So so you don't accidentally end up making changes in the wrong size class. Yeah, I think I think adaptivity, that stuff, and trait collections are really kind of coming into its own. When they were first introduced, people were a little bit confused by them a few years ago, and um, and the, the interface builder stuff like you're talking about wasn't mm -hmm. quite there. And now I think it's like really this is how you should do it. Um, you really shouldn't be thinking about widths or heights. Right. Directly at all. Yeah, there were some rough edges early on for sure, especially with things like auto layout, but it seems like that's come an awful long way. And now, yeah. even not only just how it works, but also the tools to kind of visualize it and figure out what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some, some stuff that isn't getting as much attention but um, is still really great are the changes to table views and collection views. I mean, most right. iOS apps that we use every day sure. are scrolling lists, um, mm -hmm. either grids or, or not. And they're just so much faster now. It's so much harder to write frame drops with the changes they made there. What did they do exactly? Do you um, know? A lot. So they, you can do cell prefetching now. Okay. You can do data prefetching. Um, and they've more intelligently spread out the um, costs of cell creation across multiple run loop iterations mm -hmm. so that uh, it just things just scroll smoother even if you make no changes. Just oh, recompile and it'll be better. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah, yeah that's, I mean, it's always been a strength of iOS is really how it, it deal, handles long lists of data, right? Uh, it's taken Android forever to get anywhere close to that. Right, but if you think back to, uh, uh, going way back, Tweety, right, which mm -hmm. one, one of the best Twitter clients um, to come out in the early days, Lauren wrote up huge blog posts about making sure that his cells weren't dropping frames and that we're going to pre-render this, we're going to recompress these images on this other thread. And now it's so easy to get that behavior by default, not just because we have faster devices, but because Apple cares about that kind of feel. Right, they've optimized for that now, right. which is really nice. Yeah, that is really cool. Um, what else um, on the developer side have you seen? I mean, I know Swift 3 is obviously big, and you guys are working on some things, projects that, that involve that, right? Swift 3 is huge. And I think initially um, I started, when, when Swift went open source, 
I started reading the mailing list and it quickly became way too much. I mean, the email volume is, is, is gigantic. I don't know how anyone keeps up with it. But, um, and uh, they, they put out a proposal to do this major renaming from Swift 2 to Swift 3, almost every method and every, uh, and many types in standard library and, and, and in UIKit and Foundation get tweaked in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and being kind of, uh, having written Cocoa for a long time, I was a little bit reluctant about it. Um, but seeing them on stage talking about Swift 3 and how they came to that naming structure and uh, and how it's grammatical and based on English, um, which is something that they've always pushed for, I'm really actually excited about it now. Yeah, it seems a little more compact, right? In some, In some cases, places. yeah. I think yeah. they're hesitant to say that because they, they don't want to encourage conciseness as the goal. The goal is clarity. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's interesting. So have you um, been writing most of your stuff in Swift these days? Almost entirely, yeah. Pinpoint, our app-to-markup screenshots, is 100% Swift. Um, both of the client apps that we're working on right now, 100% Swift. Um, recently, we shipped an app for the New Yorker. Uh, it's also 100% Swift, so all Swift all the time. How about your um, open-source project that you just, just launched? That's in Swift, too. So, yeah, it's called Pinpoint Kit, and we extracted it out of Pinpoint. Um, and it's for developers. It's an SDK uh, that you drop into your app and allows you to, whenever you shake the device, or you can trigger it with any gesture that you want, a little sheet comes up, it automatically takes a screenshot of the running application and lets the user or beta tester, in most cases, annotate right. it and send that feedback along with an, uh, a console log. Oh, that's so it really interesting. makes it really easy. You don't have to you know, find the person and DM them. You don't have to go to the test flight app and tap the email sheet and then get the screenshot from your photo library. It's just in one little sheet. Right. I remember you guys acquired, obviously, Pinpoint from Mark Arment, right? That's right. And didn't he at one point have something like that? Or isn't that where exactly pin- right. that was kind of the origin Bug, of Bugshot and Bugshot, bugshot Kit. Right. So we're, we're kind of following the same thing. We're... Swiftifying everything, um, it's protocol oriented. So, if you want to swap out, you know, we support email by default as the way to send the feedback. Mm-hmm. But if you want to swap in a Jira sender or a, a Trello sender mm-hmm. to have these things go somewhere else, you just have to write that one part. You don't have oh, to nice. subclass. You don't have to re-implement anything. You just write something conforming to our sender protocol, and it's done. Oh, cool. That's really neat. Um, what do you think of all the, the new extension points that we've got? I mean, I think we've got 19 extension points now. If you add them all up, and I. <laughs> I think it's been really interesting just because it's, especially when, when you see Apple opening up uh, access to developers to first-party apps like, like Maps and Messages. Um, I made a, a silly joke on Twitter about this the other day uh, with the screenshot of all of the new extension points right. and saying that I wanted to write an app that had all of them, call it Overextended. <laughs> yeah. uh, but in, 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 in seriousness, though, I think that Apple um, building this extension system a few years ago, we're finally reaping, or not finally, I mean, we're really, really reaping the benefits of that uh, now. And in a way, I think extensions are the new apps. If you already have an app, or if you haven't made an app yet, you should really sit down and think about what are the logical extensions to make? Yeah, not just build all of them. <laughs> right, right. And it started out, I guess, kind of as general purpose extensions, right? Because you had the share, share extensions sheets, right. and the uh, and the action extensions. And now it's getting a little more specialized, whether it's maps right. or messages or the phone. And you're also seeing them start to retool things. So the the today widgets, today extensions, have been repurposed now onto the lock screen. Right. So you don't have to, all you have to do is recompile, and now you can be used on the lock screen. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that uh, a lot of the things to me this year like that are opening up new areas of creativity for developers, whether it's you know developing new apps or extending things that they've already got, because you've got all sorts of things with notifi- actual notifications and other things that you can do now. It's almost impossible now to, ke- to keep every iOS feature that you could implement as a developer in your head. 
Right. Um, you, you need to you need to sit down and look at the entire list and be like, okay, so these are the extension points that I want to use. Um, this is how I want to handle notifications. It, it it's a much much bigger surface area to think about for product design. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and some you know I was talking to Brian Iris about this, and he he made a good point I thought, which was that now there are so many extension points that people aren't going to necessarily feel like they have to implement them all. Or they, you know, they're not even appropriate, obviously, uh, right. yeah. anymore. Which is kind of good, because I think a lot of people you know, made things like Today Widgets that really didn't do much, because they yeah. felt like they yeah. had to. Yeah. Right? Oh, well, we had to get featured, we have to do everything. Um, yeah, I agree. I think relevancy is what's important. And um, the market will, if people do over overextend their apps, the market mm-hmm. will, will correct for that. Um, Message extensions, I think, are going to be very, very popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that th- it's interesting that they're doing super specific extensions too, like uh, ride sharing, right? Right. And, and when you when you implement that intent kit extension for ride sharing, it works both automatically in Siri mm-hmm. and also it will show up in Maps. So they're also reusing extensions across multiple locations. Right. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. I, I think messages. There's a lot of opportunity there. I know people, you know, thought the the demonstration maybe was a little cheesy and, and overwrought. But yeah. the thing is, they were trying to show all the features, right? And in, right. when you're using messages, you're not going to do every one of those things right away in a right. in a short conversation. And they're competing with um, brands like Snapchat and, and Facebook Messenger, who have done a lot of you know their versions of these features. Yep. And so they want to they want to appeal to people who are using those products and give them something that is end to end encrypted. Right. and that works across platforms and um, will show up on your watch. So I think the message changes. I know there are a lot of people who are uh, kind of down on them. I think it's a little bit too much. I think I think it's going to be great. I think they're really just catching up with the competition. You're right. right. I mean, so many things have that already. One of the things we did on Mac stories, we started using Telegram because tele- and Telegram has most of those things that were announced yeah. the other day. Maybe not the full screen laser effects. No, but, uh, but <laughs> we, don't, we don't have the disco ball. But, right. uh, but uh, that's what we've been using because there's a lot more we can do with it than we could. A lot more rich media. And I really like, right. you know, even just like, link previews alone. Exactly. I mean. Link previews for tweets and for web pages and everything. And inline video, those things are great. Right. Uh, the, the content extension is the thing that I want the most developers to build mm-hmm. because the content extension allows you um, to show a custom view in messages in other places in the OS mm-hmm. whenever your link is sent. So it plays really well off of universal links, and um, that's the one I want to see from the most apps out there. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of having a store embedded within messages? That's really unusual, I think. I think it makes sense, especially because of stickers. I, I don't think people want to go to. I, kind of, we've seen this with the tone store. I feel like, like, mm-hmm. the, the, I don't think the, the ringtone store is very popular. Um, right. It's kind of in a weird spot, buried. What you want is when you're doing the thing, when you're when you're sending the message and you need a new sticker. That's where you want the store experience to be. Right. Um, so I think it makes sense. It's also interesting that they are making sticker extensions so so easy to make. Right. Like not having to write any code. Um, and Craig mentioned at the talk show that he's hoping that communities of artists will be building uh, sticker packs. Yeah, I think it's really interesting too because I think designers now will find themselves in Xcode. Maybe some designers were hesitant to get into Xcode in the first place. Right. And you know, who knows? Maybe it's a gateway drug for designers so they work a little better with developers once they are a little more familiarized with with Xcode, even if they're not writing code within it. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think um, that's shown. That idea has shown up in a few sessions as well. Uh, I noticed it um, specifically around asset catalogs. Okay. Twice in the session that covered asset catalogs this year they said or you know you can have your designer commit these directly to the asset catalog kind of trying right, it's not re- that scary. reach across the aisle <laughs> it's not that scary just drag in your assets yeah, yeah. into the different sizes here's how it works there's right. check boxes and drop wells just, yeah, you know. and when you think about it it's really not that different than the way the stickers work I mean because I think that's just a matter right. of dragging your images yep. into that particular spot in Xcode yep yeah. uh, and uh, they're, they're supporting GIFs a little bit begrudgingly uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're really trying to push people towards uh, animated PNGs for the, for the stickers because they're more performant and they look better 
better. Um, is that uh, is the performance thing when you're dragging it, um, or is it something else that is the no? Problem it's with it's it? ju just just decoding and playing GIFs uh, is not is not an easy thing to do. The format is a very old format, and it wasn't really well designed for animation. Yeah. Yeah, I've never used animated PNGs. Do you are you familiar with them at all? It's it's very simple. It's just a bunch of uh, PNG frames end to much. end, basically. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Anything else with um, on the developer side that you want to talk about? Uh, on the developer side, well, we talked about Swift three. We talked about Xcode. Um, yes, one other thing, uh, and that is property animators. Are you, did you see this? No, yes, I didn't see that. What, what's that all about? Um, UIKit has always had multiple ways to animate things. There's UI view animate with duration, there you can drop down a core animation, um, there's built-in animation transitions. This is a way to model animations, uh, more like something like Facebook's Pop, and okay. allow them to be interruptible and reversible, and um, it's going to be really, really powerful to build uh, some of the stuff that designers have always been, you know, pushing me to make, or pushing us to make, um, but we, we have to sort of push back because it would take too long. Yeah. Um, this just makes it so much easier to say yes. Yeah, I was talking to Brian actually a little bit about this on the way over to lunch because he was saying you could do something like, say, pinch a, pinch a photograph and interrupt it, catch it. You can catch it in midair. In midair and then do something else Right, with you it. can go from interactive um, gestural-based motion to pre-can animation and back again all within you know milliseconds. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that'll make for some interesting, uh, interesting apps, I would think. Yes. Some, yeah. Yes. Huh. Um, switching over to the consumer side for for a minute, what is it about what you saw that excites you most about the devices that you use each day? Uh, WatchOS three for sure. Yeah. Um, so many common sense changes. Yeah. I mean, the fact that things are going to get faster, uh, and the way they're, they're doing that is by keeping things in memory if they know that you like them, because you keep them in your docker, it's a complication. Yeah, they realize they had some extra RAM they could use, right? Right. Uh, really smart. They, they're making it easier to switch watch faces. I already switched watch faces um, from weekday to weekend. Uh, now I don't have to force touch, switch, tap. I can just sideswipe, and it goes right over the other face. Um, and refocusing on complications and, and cutting features like glances and the, uh, and the friends button, changing that to the dock button, I couldn't have come up with or wished for better changes. Like that is going to make my watch more useful. Yeah, I, I agree. Do you, do you have any sense for how many apps will be able to be resident in memory at, at one time in the dock? Like, is it like five or ten? Or I don't know the exact number. I suppose it'll um, depend a little bit on the apps themselves. Right, right. All, all your Also, all your complications uh, get that same treatment. So okay. even if the dock is limited, you can also add complications. Is that a Cross, face cross faces? Only the current face. The current face, got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, no, but that, I think that it, being able to switch watch faces so easily is going to be really nice, as you said. I mean, you might have one for weekdays, weekend, when you're at work, when you're at home, all those kind of things. And you can have different complications on each one, which are quick launch, uh, make it really easy to quickly launch the apps. Yeah, and complications can update more frequently and control right. the times at which they update. So if you have a flight complication, it can update... Uh, right around departure and arrival mm -hmm. and, and um, it doesn't have to wait for the system to tell it to update. It can actually request that. Yeah, I also, the other thing I guess, speaking of notifications and flipping over to the phone for a second, um, the fact that you can get now, for instance, a, a notification of like a sporting event and that it can update in the background so you don't have to go to your notification center and see like the score change like 10 times during the course yeah. of a game, that's pretty cool. That is neat. Yeah. I don't know if I knew that. That's exciting. Yeah, I heard that, that, that you'll be able, it'll essentially just be one and it'll update the, the data in the background um, and then that's when you I think that's it. an extension point also. Just yep. another another one of extension yep. point. Yep. And you got the background updating on the watch too, which would be very nice. And the and the workouts are now um, available for background updates. There's so too. much stuff. There's so much stuff uh, yeah. to look at this summer. Yeah. Anything else on the uh, the device side? Um, I think 
slightly disappointed in the Siri changes. Mm -hmm. um, pretty limited. Pretty limited. You have to, you know, pop up another one of these uh, permission dialogues, which still haven't been unified into mm -hmm. like a permission sheet. So it's, do you want push notifications? Do you want this app to work with Siri? Do you want photo access? It's, yeah. just, it's just user fatigue from that, I think. Um, and you have to specifically mention the app name for any third-party one. So you, mm -hmm. you have to say, send this via WhatsApp, which I don't know right. if users are going to think to do. Yeah, no, that's a little hard. I mean, the... It seems like the, the syntax isn't bad. I mean, I think they've done a good job in in varying the uh, the language you can use that you are, that's available to use to trigger it, which is nice. But it, yeah. it's it's also interesting to me what categories they chose to, to extend Siri to already. You would have thought maybe music, but yeah, media is the one that everyone feels is missing. I think. Yeah, it really is missing, and I wonder if that's a competitive thing more than anything else. I mean, do they really want Spotify on there yet? I don't know. Could be, but I think there are so many pod, like third-party podcast apps that they like and video apps yeah, that they like. I true. think it, it's probably just a time thing you know yeah and it might be harder too with y'all I, I don't know because you have to it's not just launching the app it's obviously having to deal with artist names and bands and song names and all that sort of thing right right yeah I think um, I think we'll be seeing uh, a lot of a lot more next year mm -hmm. on that yeah I would have liked to have seen a little bit more on the iPad side too Ooh, I mean, good point you know I mean it's it's not been that long since we got the iPad Pro, but you know the multitasking just really needs to be fixed. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, uh, dark mode on iOS is something that I predicted would happen. It seems like it is in there. It's in the simulator. Yeah, I saw some tweets about that today. But uh, it may be that they're saving it for a device launch, uh, possibly with an OLED screen, something like that is what's been theorized. Yeah, when I saw the new redesigned music app and how how white it was, it seemed to me that that was built for the light mode, right? And right. I, and when I saw that at the, during the keynote. I thought, oh, we're going to get dark. They're right. going to talk about and dark mode. And dark mode on Apple TV shipped, and right. it's built into the tools. You can easily switch between dark and light. Yeah. Um, it's definitely coming. Yeah, I think so, too. It's a, yeah, it, maybe that is a launch thing. Um, save a little something for the fall, I guess. Right, and, it, and you, you, make the, you make the battery point, because uh, with OLED screens, darker pixels take mm -hmm. up less battery, so it's a, a quick thing you throw in. Yeah, uh, that, that makes sense. Launch, I think. Yeah. Anything else on that? No, no, um, but thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been great having you. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. I know you've been going to sessions and been really busy all week. Yeah, so. I'm going to run over there and ask a, ask a couple of TableView questions right now. Okay, great. Thanks, great. Matt. Absolutely.